So we're in week number four of a sermon series, and we're playing off of a program from back in the 1990s, What Would Jesus Do? And I think it's a great program. I remember being really into it at that time. I love wearing this bracelet, and and it's kind of nice because as I reach forward to do something, I can ask myself, hmm, what would Jesus do in this particular situation that I'm faced? Kind of a funny story that uh, a little boy, he's a fourth grader, it's his birthday, but he's on crutches. And he wants to take cupcakes in, but he can't carry the cupcakes into school. And, and so dad asked his brother, Noah, sixth grader, hey, will you carry them in for him? And he goes, well, I could, but I'd really rather not do it. So his dad thinks, well, this is a teaching moment. So he said, what would Jesus do? And Noah thought for a minute, and he goes, he'd just heal my brother, and then he'd carry his own cupcakes in. Well, our sermon series is based on WDJD, what did Jesus do? Now, of course, the gospel is the sweetest thing we know, that he came and lived and died for us, but we also know that he taught and he spoke with authority, and he spoke about all of the critical issues in life. And in the sermon series, we started in week one talking about him being the greatest teacher of all. And then in week number two, Pastor Zardi was in here and he was talking about, so what did he teach? about Satan. And then last week, Pastor Mark was in here, and he talked, what did Jesus teach about pride and humility? Now, those sermons are online at royred.org. You can go there and review them again or see them for the first time, and I encourage you to do that. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what did Jesus teach about marriage and divorce. Now, before you roll your eyes and go too early in the morning to handle such a heavy topic, I want you to think about a little boy. goes to his very first wedding. And when he comes back, his cousin's waiting and says, hey, how did it go? Oh, it was pretty neat. And he said, well, I've always had a question. He says, how many women can a man marry? And right away, without even thinking, this boy says, 16. And the cousin goes, wow, that's incredible. How did you know that? He goes, oh, I just listened to the pastor. He told him that he could have four better, four worse, four richer, and four poorer. Very heavy topic we're going to talk about today. But what I'd like you to do, I don't want you to fall asleep, but close your eyes for a minute. Don't put up your hand or anything, but I want you to answer yes or no to a few questions. The first one is, are you married? Just in your mind, yes or no. Number two, if you are married, are you happily married? Number three, are you divorced, getting divorced, or thinking about divorce? Again, yes or no. Are you living with someone but not married to them? Are you sexually active and not married? Are you married but you're having an affair with someone else? Are you single and you're happy with that situation? Are you single and hope someday to find the right person and settle down and get married? Are you widowed? Are you the child of a divorced parent? All right, can open your eyes. Hope I didn't lose some of you there and sleep. But, uh, but the reason I ask those strange questions are, to make sure you understand this topic impacts every single person in this room. It's a very heavy topic. It's a complicated topic. And and I love the fact that we're at a church that's willing to talk about these hard-to-talk-about topics. And what I hope happens is that we're going to be able to focus on the fact that by being fully aware of God's original intent for marriage helps to preserve the covenant promises made at a wedding and then avoid the pitfalls that can lead to divorce. So what I hope we can do is start out by going all the way back to the beginning. So God creates paradise. And I love that it says he looked at it and he said, it's good. 
And then he creates man. He creates Adam and puts him in this paradise. And then you know what he says? It's very good. And yet just a couple verses later in Genesis 2, we see that the Lord said it is not good. Uh Uh-oh, something went wrong here. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. See, even in paradise, it seemed not so good that there isn't human commitment and relationship and companionship. And so what does he do? He creates a partner for Adam, a lifelong partner for Adam. So in Genesis 2, it says, God put the man into a deep sleep. As he slept, he removed one of the ribs and replaced it with flesh. God then used the rib that was taken from man to make woman and presented her to the man. The man said, finally, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, name her woman, for she was made from man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother, embraces his wife. They become one flesh. The two of them, man and wife, were naked but felt no shame. So everything's perfect now, right? Well, unfortunately, we know the rest of the story because we know that sin comes in and and messes up relationships. We see that Eve sins, and what's the first thing she does? She invites Adam in. Come on! He goes, okay, and now they're both sinning. And then the relationship starts to get caught up in this sinful nature, and it gets exposed in the way they treat each other. Suddenly, they're embarrassed by their own nakedness. Suddenly they start to cover each other from each other. Suddenly they hide from God. And then Adam starts blaming Eve, and Eve starts blaming the serpent. And and this great plan hits a roadblock, a speed bump. It crashes and it burns. Now before we move forward, I think we ought to really look at a few definitions so we're on the same page. Now the word marriage is a legal agreement. It's a civil status, and it's determined by civil laws. In this case, the laws of the state of Ohio. And a person that wants to get married gets a license that says, hey, I'm not married to somebody else. And then you can go to a mayor, a judge, or hopefully to a clergy who will hear you say you want to be married and sign the license for you. So then what about the word divorce? What does it really mean? Well, it's the canceling of the legal duties and responsibilities under the the law of the state that you're in. It legally dissolves them. But for us here and online that are listening to this, what happens when a marriage is a Christ-centered covenant? You see, a Christian marriage goes way beyond this earthly agreement that we just talked about, and it's the perfect picture between Christ, who is the groom, and his bride, us, the church. And of course, it involves loyalty and intimacy and permanency and it's a covenant made with to and before God one man one woman bonded together in the love of Christ and it's to last until death do you part now I want to read a section of scripture that is a very hard one to read and and I'm going to read it and then I'm going to unpack it for you it's in Matthew 19 some Pharisees came to him to test him They ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united to the wife, and the two become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, 
Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It's not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, marries another woman, commits adultery. Wow, how's that for a heavy verse in our culture today? But I think a little background might be helpful in this situation here. See, the Pharisees are approaching Jesus about the possibility of a divorce. And, and you might say, well, why would they do that? Well, Deuteronomy 24 says that divorce can be allowed. And so it causes a little confusion there. But you see, uh, in, in Moses' day, women had no rights at all. They certainly could not dismiss their husband for any reason, and yet the husband could dismiss the wife for any reason that he wanted. And so Moses allows this certificate of divorce not to encourage divorce, but to put some accountability into the process. And so we fast forward to this story in Jesus' day, and, and the Pharisees are there, and they're going to try to trick Jesus, and they're using this section that talks about a woman being indecent that she could be divorced then. And, and there's really two schools of thought back then. They're the Shammai. They're very, very conservative and strict. And they would say that divorce can only happen because of sexual immorality. And, and that would make the woman uh, indecent and you could divorce her. And then there's a whole other school of thought, the Hillels. And, 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 and they would be more liberal. And, and they would actually say, well, you know, your wife burns your toast. That makes her indecent. Or she walks around and her hair's not bound like it's supposed to. You can divorce her because that's, uh, uh, that's indecent. And, and, and so they're trying to trick Jesus, say, pick one of the two sides. See, now they have a method to their madness. If Jesus goes along with the conservative ones, you know, Herod chopped John the Baptist's head off because of the things he said about marriage. And I thought, well, maybe that'll get rid of Jesus. And if Jesus picks the more liberal one, then they figure, well, he's going to lose some of his followers. And, and so what does he do? What did Jesus do? He taught. He taught with authority, and he taught from God's word. See, Jesus teaches that marriage involves covenant promises. So, so what is this word covenant? What does it really mean? Well, in the Bible, there's lots of situations of covenants between God and his people. But in a marriage, a covenant is an oath-bound agreement between two people. And it involves a lot of promises. It, it involves the promise of loyalty. Uh, uh, I don't know in your case, after Jesus, who or what are you the most loyal to? It's a heavy question to think about. Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your political party? Is it a sports team? Well, what does God's word talk about? Well, it says, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. See, before you're married, your number one obligation is to your parents. And then after you get married, then that fundamental allegiance kinds of shifts over to your spouse. They are the ones to be loyal to. And it also involves a promise of intimacy. That same verse, Matthew 19, 5, but the second half of the verse says the two become one flesh. Now, one flesh obviously involves the physical contact, husband and wife, sexuality. It involves that, but it goes so much further than that. Uh, it, it's a oneness of your heart, a oneness of your spirit, a oneness of your mind, everything focused on the other person. And then there's the promise of permanency. So we rent an apartment for a year. We lease a car for three years. 
We maybe watch a neighbor's dog. I wouldn't, but some might, for a week. Right? There's this time limit to that. But not so with marriage. The section we're looking at goes on in verse 6, and it says, they're no longer two but one flesh. So what God has already joined together, let no one separate. And yet we see all the way back from Adam and Eve, there's speed bumps and landmines and things try to destroy. And we can classify those things by the word sin. So what is the impact of sin on a marriage? Well, despite God's original intent for marriage, marriages fell apart in Jesus' day just like they do today. Uh, and why is that? Well, it's our sinful nature. It's the sins that we commit. It's our self-centeredness. And quite frankly, it's easily described by the words hardened hearts. Hmm. We see hardened hearts right from Adam and Eve to Pharaoh. And if we look at ourselves, we have our own hardened hearts. So again, our section from Matthew 19 that we're looking at goes on to say, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts are hard. See, Jesus is looking and responding by saying, it's permitted. Now, it doesn't say it's required, but it's permitted because of hardened hearts. And, you know, when I, when I hear hardened hearts, I think physically like hardening of the arteries. Well, in your marriage, it's kind of the same thing. What was once flexible and tender starts to become inflexible and hardened. And it causes deterioration in your marriage, which leads to little exits. Now, a divorce is certainly not a little exit, but it doesn't just happen overnight. Little exits form, and they come together, and they start to get in the middle of the relationship. You know, you no longer want to spend every moment with this person that you used to just couldn't stand to be away from. Then you start uh, taking each other for granted. And the two that become one suddenly start to become kind of two again. Start watching TV alone. Or you go to the garage to work on a project even though there's no project to be worked on. Start immersing yourself into romance novels. Pretending to be asleep when your partner comes to bed. And those little things might be okay in certain situations, but they, they're really the result of something. They're the result of feelings that have been hurt, needs that haven't been met. And the hop one here, poor communication. And it causes us to withdraw, and then you multiply all those little exits together, and, and truly the two aren't one anymore. Uh, that can start out very harmfully through wayward thoughts. Every action any person in this room or online has ever done started with a thought, right? In this case, someone who's married goes, hmm, maybe I married the wrong person. Maybe I'd be better off single. Hey, I'm pretty bored with my life right now. If I only had married her or him, yeah, life would be better. You see, sometimes people take marriage kind of like they're buying a car. You know, every so many years you see a newer model or you get tired of the old one and See, that's just consumerism. Marriage is way beyond that. It's, it's creating a lifelong relationship that you ask God to bless. And when you start seeking or speaking about divorce, you're saying that that commitment doesn't really matter. So what is God's view on divorce? 
Well, a couple of questions came to my mind when I wrote this. Like some people would say, can I get divorced if I'm really not happy anymore? I just don't feel like this is a good thing. Or maybe, uh, do I have to get divorced if my spouse has cheated on me? Or I am divorced, now what happens with my life? Well, first of all, I want to make sure we know that God's word says that God hates divorce. That's a strong word, isn't it? But it makes sense because we're breaking a vow that we took before the Lord. Malachi says it in just a couple of words. I hate divorce, says the Lord. Can't get any more specific than that. But why does he hate it? Well, he hates it because he knows the damage and the destruction that comes from divorce. Damage to the husband, damage to the wife, damage to any kids that are involved in this, uh, friends and family, and damage to God's kingdom. Now, as we read a little earlier, God does allow, doesn't require, but allows for divorce on two occasions. One of those occasions is simply called sexual immorality. So in this section in Matthew 19 that we're looking at, it says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. So what is sexual immorality? It's a pretty big issue in our culture today. And if you're unsure of what might be inappropriate in your life, I'd ask you to say, hmm, am I relating or expressing my affection to someone that I'm not married to in a way that we'd be okay if we highlighted it on the screen today? See, that hits you, doesn't it? That would let you know whether you've crossed the line. Now, I don't want to get too legalistic with God's word here because maybe sexuality, uh, sexual immorality happens one time there's this weird situation, a time of vulnerability. The person is genuinely repentant, willing to do anything to rebuild the trust, willing to take all the time necessary to restore the marriage. And in those cases, I think God would want this husband and wife to try to work through this situation if possible. But see, the question is, is that person who committed adultery saying, I am so sorry that I hurt you and hurt the Lord, or are they saying, I am so sorry that I got caught? See, there's this repentant heart that needs to be involved. And then sometimes there's a pattern of this. It's not just a once and it happened and it's awful and maybe we can work through it. It's a pattern of it. And God hates divorce. But in those situations, for unrepentance, for consistent sexual immorality, because that violates the promise of intimacy. But I want you to remember something else as well. Just as we're to avoid sexual immorality outside of the marriage, we certainly are told that we are obligated to seek physical and emotional intimacy within the marriage. And again, that can be a physical thing, but it also is when we come together for devotions, husband and wife doing a devotion, reading scripture, praying together, having honest conversations with each other. Now, there's a second reason that could allow for the uh, divorce, and that would be for marital desertion. And, and I'm going to read a section here, and then we'll come back with it. it. It's in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So desertion is this violation of the promise of loyalty. Now this section, Paul's talking about unbelievers. And yet if a person deserts 
their partner, I gotta kind of wonder what their spiritual life is like. And are they a believer? Desertion is a deliberate, unrepentant, hard-hearted abandonment of the relationship. And it can happen physically where someone leaves and doesn't tell you where they are or they're just gone and, and they're not coming back. But it can also involve you're still living with that person and yet they've deserted the relationship emotionally and spiritually. It might happen because of physical abuse. It, it might happen with long-standing lying and deceit, uh, unrepentance for the harm that they're doing. So that's a lot of negative that we talked about. Let's flip this around. How do we honor God in our gift of marriage? Well, you know, I think the easiest answer to that is we invite him into it, right? We allow God in. We invite him to be the third strand in our marriage. Most weddings that I do, I use this verse in, in Ecclesiastes where it says a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. A man and a woman, they're kind of strong. They come together in marriage and they become stronger. And then what if you're wrapped around a core of Jesus Christ? And, and if you're sitting out there and you're, you're just in a dating world and you're not married, listen to what I'm saying. Invite Jesus Christ to be at the center of every relationship you have. Why? Because we love only because God loved us first. God is love. And then he tells us to love one another. He tells us that we should love, honor, and respect everyone, but in particular, our spouses. And we do that with the way we speak to them, the way we speak about them when they're not around, the way we interact with them. Are we cherishing them, putting their interests ahead of ours? And again, it's in the marriage, but it's for every relationship you have in your life. God tells us very clearly in Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. How? Just as Christ. God forgave you. And of course, the big issue that comes when marriages get upset, and that's using sexuality as God has intended it. I love the fact that in our sermon series, Pastor John already talked about temptations the other day. And I think that's where all this begins, is the temptations. And we're always told, don't Put yourself in a place where you're going to be tempted. Avoid the temptations. Don't be spending time alone with a person of the opposite sex, even if it seems innocent. Avoid pornography and things that would put images and tell you that things are okay to do. Don't do that. And then ask for help so that you can resist the temptations that come at you. Because sexuality is a gift from God to bond a husband and wife married together. And it brings us right back to the beginning that we had today. A man leaves his father and mother, united to his wife, and they become one flesh. One man married to one woman, asking God's blessings in their life. So, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, well, a little too late, or I hope we can salvage something, or I'm having some troubles. I'm going to challenge you to seek help today or down the road when troubles arise. Don't sweep these little things, those little exits under the carpet, because suddenly you got a lump and you're tripping over it. It's kind of like uh, cancer. If you don't take care of it, it'll metastasize and impact all areas of your life. Seek some professional help if you're struggling. Come see me. Come see Pastor John or Pastor Mark. Get a Christian counselor. Get a third person that you can talk to 
and that they can pray with you because your marriage is worth it. Proverbs tells us to do that. Fools are headstrong and do what they like, but wise people take advice. All right, so now we've had a good, solid look at what marriage and divorce is all about from God's word. His original intent for the marriage bond is to be unbroken. I know some of you are saying, how did I end up coming here today? Or how did I end up watching this online? This is really uncomfortable. Well, I got to tell you, remember the fact that we live in a sin-filled world and all of us, every person in this room, are sin-filled. And yet, you know what? Never would you go out of here without hearing the message of forgiveness. Because we have a loving God who gives grace and mercy. How can he do that? Well, he has mercy, but because Jesus paid the price for every indiscretion that you had. I love this verse so much. If we confess our sins, it doesn't have any asterisk after that word sin. All of our sins. He's faithful and just, forgives our sins, and purifies us from unrighteousness. As hideous as some things can seem, God forgives them. God refreshes you and gives you a fresh start. So if you are or you have been in a process of any sin that goes against God's plan for marriage and sexuality and divorce, just own it. Talk to God about it. Ask and you will receive his forgiveness. And again, call me up. We'll sit down and see if we can make some sense of it. A couple action steps for you as you walk out of here, depending on what your relationships are. If you're married, I'll renew the covenant with my spouse by my words and actions. Why don't you look each other in the eye later and, and renew a vow? And I will remain faithful to you, and I'll love you and cherish you. Number two, I'm going to seek God's forgiveness for maybe a past divorce or a relational failing. Put it in God's hand, and it's gone. He forgives it. He paid for it. And then if you're single, hey, why don't you seek God's will for all your relationships and invite them into those relationships? I hope one of these will hit you as you walk out of here today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for showing us what true love looks like, for loving every person in this room and watching online. Bless our marriages. Bless our families. Bless our dating relationships. All to your glory, Lord. Soften our hearts, get rid of our wayward thoughts, forgive all past indiscretions, and help us to honor our covenant promises to you and our covenant promises to our spouses. We pray it all in your name, Lord. Amen.